Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sophie Scott. And I'm James Gill. Our mission is to make wellness accessible to everyone. We'll be chatting with our favourite people, sharing uplifting news stories, and delivering tips and tricks to bring balance to your lives. Hello, welcome to the Balance Podcast. Our guest today is the Australian firebrand, the great Sarah Kendall. Uh, always one of the funniest stand ups I've ever seen. Naturally funny, also a great writer. Sort of got the lot, great performer. Super likeable. Everything about Sarah Kendall is just uh, ace. Uh, and now she is the star and creator of the hit TV show, Frayed. It's on Sky Atlantic. You, know, so you can also catch up on Sky. It's also on Now TV to any Aussie listeners. It's on ABC. Uh, and then, wonderfully, it's just been nominated for five actor awards. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. It's A-A-C-T-A. And that's the equivalent of, uh, that's Australia's version of the BAFTAs. It's just been nominated for five of them, including Best Comedy Show. What I would say, listener, uh, stay to the end of this one, because there is a twist. It's, the, it's the, podca- the podcast equivalent of a thriller. Something happens at the end of our chat. Oh, it's, it's high-octane stuff. It's the podcast equivalent of a car chase. I mean, I've made it more dramatic than it actually is. Uh, but anyway... The wonderful Sarah Kendall. Frayed is hilarious. Frayed is a lot like Sarah. It's hysterically funny, but also quite dark. I will tee it up by saying that Sarah Kendall is the main character. She has to leave Britain to return to her native Australia following an incident. And to say any more than that, I think would spoil it. So if if you're you're already enjoying Frayed, you'll know how wonderful Sarah is. If you haven't watched it yet, I strongly recommend it. It looks gorgeous as well. Anyway, here she is, the great Sarah Kendall. So genuinely, have I told you my Dolph Lundgren? Dolph Lundgren was sitting across from me in a. Can we include this? Yeah, nothing happened. He was just sitting across from me at brunch in LA. I I was just like, oh. Did you chat with him? Nah, but we made eye contact, and he knew that I knew that he knew that we both knew that I knew. But he seems a nice dude. He, oh, have you seen his TED Talk? No. Holy shit. His TED Talk. So my friend, because I, I, I did I did a story about it in my show this year in stand-up about this, you know, Dolph Lundgren in the restaurant. And then my radio producer, who I co-write my radio shows with, he went, you've got to see Dolph Lundgren's TED Talk. And I was like, yeah, yeah, okay. I was in pieces. I could not stop crying. It was absolutely. Oh, mean, really? It is. You're talking to the world's most emotional man. It is beautiful. I mean, yeah, you're going to lose your shit. And it's about how he was brutalized by his father as a child. Like he was, you know, domestic violence, you know, his dad beat him up and how he shut down all that pain. And then he talks about the 80s 
and he's really funny about it, about like, because he's a super, super bright guy. Sure, that's right. And he got kind of, just with each moment in the 80s, he got sl- slingshotted, slungshot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To another bizarre. So he got oh. spotted by Grace Jones when he was a bouncer in Sydney. He became Grace Jones's lover. Then they're partying at Studio 54. Andy Warhol's like, i got to get some photos of this guy. This is nuts. He gets what, Warhol says that of Dolph? Of Dolph, Because he yes. looks so beautiful. Such a beautiful man. Yeah. And he and Grace Jones are probably doing it on a sofa. Yeah. And uh, so he does this photo spread on Dolph Lundgren. Then he gets a phone call. We think you'd be brilliant for this new... Uh, Rocky Four film as the as the super Russian as the the evil villain. So he just had all this fortunate, fortunate, fortunate kind of, and then at some point he just had to deal with the pain of his childhood. And oh my god! So he never actually no. faced it head on. No, because it was like a video game. He keeps yeah right. going up a level. Right, right, and 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 with each sort of new <laughs> without nuts. meaning to either from the sounds of things. No, and just complete just the luck of just being stunning and super bright. You know, like, and and he became a a martial arts champion and he had this killer instinct because he was so used to the violence at home that you'd put him in the ring and he wouldn't... And he's just a machine. Yeah, he wouldn't panic. He was like, yeah, I got this. So... So he's never thinking... Oh, Oh, God, what if I I hurt this guy? Yeah, no, and he's not thinking, what if I get hurt? And uh, now, oh, my... And then he set up a charity uh, and they work with getting... Rescuing people from human trafficking. Oh my God. He said, I started looking after the kid in me, and now I look around and I see other kids who are adults. Like, I see other people who aren't being looked after. So it's, it's my understanding yeah. that you either you go one of two ways. Either you yeah. become an abuser yourself, right, or, yeah. or you do what dolls do. Rescue. <laughs> Time of first tier. Yeah, I know. Oh it's God. just nuts. I mean, I was, I was in pieces. Oh it was just beautiful. And he's really funny, you know. He, says, he talks about <laughs> when he... So he'd got this scholarship. I think he's like a physics. He, he, yeah, he got into that's right. MIT. He's supremely intelligent, right? Isn't he? And he arrived. He said that he arrived for his first day on a motorcycle with no shirt on and Grace Jones on the back seat. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah this isn't going to work. <laughs> this isn't going to work. It's just really More gorgeous. Life. Yeah, it's a really beautiful TED talk. I've never seen a TED talk. Oh, look, most of them. I, I, I've seen some that have really changed. Honestly? Yeah. Oh, some of them are really... Changed, what, the way you think? Yeah, 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 totally, yeah. I mean, some of them... Have you yeah. done a TED Talk? No. No, I'm not. I'm, I, I have no knowledge. I What I yeah, do is yeah. I um I skim the, the cream off other people's knowledge and regurgitate it, which is not the same as having knowledge. <laughs> oh, God, I'm in trouble. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've got a good memory. <laughs> what I have is a good memory. <laughs> uh, is there one other that you'd recommend? This is for my own homework as much as anything. There's, uh, Ken Robinson talks a lot about education. And uh, I, I think he, it's the stuff that he said about education has been a real revelation. Like something that really stood out uh, for me with when he was talking about education is that, you know, like when we, um, and I've done this with my own kids, that when they get the answer right, you go, oh, good girl or good boy. And the inference there is that if you got it wrong, You're you would bad. be bad. Oh, God. Oh, good. Well done. So we, we already have this reward system yeah. for being correct. And what that doesn't allow is the massive margin for what you learn by being wrong. And it's okay. And I'm not saying everyone should get a pat on the head, even if they're failing abysmally. It's, you know, I know that that's the kind of, you know, when people kind of hijack that argument. But I do think that we have this kind of rewards basis that you got it right, therefore you're a good person. 
and you find yourself using that language, you know. And, totally. And people who get it wrong lose confidence because what we've kind of encoded into that is that it's wrong, bad. Wrong is bad. Mistakes are bad. So, so, so let's say, basically, yeah. some something that happened last night. Yeah. Instead of saying n- no or or wrong, what what should you be saying if they're if they're? No, I guess no. But let's try again. Let's give it another yeah, go. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Yeah. I. It's. It's. There was this thing that I was reading about. There was a. There was some tech company. It was on Silicon Valley, you know, thing, and um, they started up a really big award within their company for the best failure. And by the best failure, I don't mean... They burnt the place to the ground. Yeah, no, no. Sure. Yeah, yeah. We killed a few people. Uh, <laughs> Everybody! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those who survived. Many scientists died. Uh, no, it was... Um, you're all giving, You're all doing things and you're all getting it right and we're learning nothing. What I want is a failure where we collect a huge amount of data because we're dreaming big. We're coming up with bigger ideas and we're falling down, making mistakes... Not getting there, but what we're learning by trying. Because everybody wants to get it right and everybody wants the pat on the head at the end of the year. Sure. So they set up this sort of award for the best failure. So they're rewarding, okay, it didn't work out. Yeah. But you had a big idea and you kind of fucked it. But we learned so much. But wow, what a yeah. what a swing and a miss it was. Exactly, sure. yes. If you, if you reinvent the water bottle, that's great. And yeah, it'll... Okay, but we've got plenty of water bottles. What I want you to do is completely rethink. You know, is that not, and it was something about, I think, the idea was, uh, and it, it hadn't worked, but it was what if we could provide Wi-Fi to de- to deprive communities by having, I think it was, I might have dreamt this. Now I'm saying it out loud, it doesn't make any sense, but satellites carried by balloons. So you can put, you can basically provide the internet. So that would hover over a deprived area, yeah, yeah, providing yeah. free. You give internet. them internet. There you go. There's the internet. That's going to change your life. And it didn't work. But but, but the idea is amazing. People are kind it? of going, oh, wouldn't that be amazing if we could provide like Wi-Fi to this particular sure. area in in a community where it would change their life. That's As, inspiring, isn't it? It is. And the company now goes, we are now giving out a big reward to the projects that didn't work out, but their ambition and what they learnt is far more valuable than, yes, you got it right, well done. Well, this this does actually take us nicely into Freight. (laughs) It does. It does. It segues beautifully. Now... The, the great now that I'm very lucky that I can con- I can call Sarah a friend, mm. and so as a comedy fan, I'm sitting at home watching. I've got form for this, by the way. Yeah, right. Of uh, if a mate is in something, yeah, me. But I me- I mess it like I did with you. Yeah. I'm messaging them about a thing that they've made as if as if it was news to them. You know, yeah. so I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, so I'm yeah, like yeah. quoting bits back to Sarah. Um, but there now, in a way, there is because there is failure at the heart of the. Beautiful failure at the heart of the yeah. show, isn't there? Yeah. What yeah. What is? I, I know this is such a. I, I'm crossing myself for starting off with such a hack question. No. But what was the What was the inspiration? Um, it's weird. It was sort of. It was a bunch of different ideas that came together. Like I. I, so I should say sorry. So the story. Yeah, yeah. So the story is about. Uh, so Sarah is, I don't want to spoil too much, but Sarah is someone who's incredibly wealthy. There, so mm. I'll say this. There is an incident yes. where Sarah has to leave her wealthy lifestyle in Britain and return to her Australian roots, mm. where things are very 
difference. Yes. That's vague enough, isn't it? Yeah, that's fine. That's the, yeah, there's no, no plot spoilers there. There's no, is that, was that based on something that happened in the family? Or? No, no, no. I, I suppose this project sort of married about six different strands all into the one project. You know, like my radio shows, yep. the trilogies, of the stories. Um, uh, they had been set in the late 80s in my, in my hometown. Yes. Uh, so I sort of had that kind of uh, landscape, I suppose, in my head that I, I – like I built the sets in my head. I'd, the streets sure. were there. The, the locations were there. Um, I suppose, I, you know, I've been here for 20 years and, and you know, I, I've sort of – I've met people like Simone. I've met those incredibly painful, wealthy, everything is about appearance, how I come across, uh, high status. Yeah. Um, and I've always thought, what's behind that? You know, what's going on there? When I meet a person like that, I'm instantly intrigued as to why they're pushing their image so hard. Um, I like the idea of fucking around with that, you know, playing with that. Do you, so I, I need to be careful here. Yeah. So my, my wife went to boarding school. Right. So I have met some yeah. very yeah. wealthy people through her. Yes. And my this is this now this is my working class northern chip on my shoulder <laughs> yeah. shining through here. I've got to say, very rare, but occasionally there's a total and a bit like Simone. There's a, there's such a lack of humility, mm. but but what sort of not keeps me awake at night? But I think that they will go through their whole lives, yeah. and they will never have to learn humility. No, and with them, that does that make sense? Absolutely, and uh, you know they it, live in such a cosseted bubble. Yeah. And they'll never come out of that. They might. Something might happen. You know, like the the acts of God, you know, so to speak. Um and this is what happened to my character in yeah. the show. There was an act there was this random holy shit moment where she just lost everything in twenty four hours. Yeah. And that can happen. Some people will get to the end of their life having never endured a single shitty thing that happened to them. Um but I wanted to take this character and I wanted to put a nuclear bomb under her lies and land her back in what is basically a waking nightmare for her. She'd shut the door on her past, reinvented herself, and now she has to deal with it. She has to deal with every single person she left, walked away from, fucked over. You know, it's it's sure. it's it's really her visit to hell. It's yeah. it's um ghost of uh, all the ghosts are sort of coming out of the woodwork. And I really like the idea of a character like that being um, – uh, there was something about we had a real problem with how unlikable uh, she was. Um, and my argument was always that I felt that her genuine, genuine concern for her children was a really redeeming quality. She's not a great mum. She is by no stretch a, a great mum. I, lo- I, I love that character though. I like. Lo- I mean, I love her. I love her too. I I love that she is a scrappy little fighter <laughs> who will just lie, cheat, steal, just do anything in the moment. It's constantly jumping out of frying pan into next fire. Yes, yeah. absolutely. No matter what she does, yeah. you go. You have literally done the worst possible thing that you could have done there because it was the cheap fix. Um, but I think I really felt that. Um, the way she puts her kids, she, you know, her kids are possibly the only thing that she cares about more than herself. Everyone else, she'd just cut dead. So that was a real debate that we had, and I, I sort of, kind of, 
I felt sh- this. I wanted this character to be ugly. There's a real thing in um, certainly um, the likable thing. How likable is it? You know, that's the conversation you're always going to have. How likable? I mean, are, ca- are people going to want to be with this person? And I kind of think just go as dark as you like. People don't mind being around a dark character as long as they're interesting and logical. I'm about to make the dumbest reference that a human being can make. Go ahead. So when I was a kid, I was massively into... I, I, I cannot believe I'm going through with this. Mm-hmm. Even the voice of my head's going, James, don't, don't say, do this. Don't I was a kid, I was into WWF wrestling, which is yeah, now WWE, yeah, yeah. right? Yes, yes, yes. What does the E stand for? Entertainment. They had to change the name from World WWF. World Wildlife Federation. Because I think, the, I think the Wildlife Wildlife Federation said something. Oh, I need to be careful because I, I imagine the wrestling people are quite litigious. I understand the the. the, the I think there was also. I think there might have been something to do with tax. Oh, get, I right. think if they admitted it was entertainment and not sport. Oh, I see. I think it saved. I think it saved them quite a lot of money. I see. Okay. Googling that to yeah. avoid jail. Yeah. But what they would do is they would they would try force on the public the the super squeaky clean whiter than white, mm. and they'd go likable, 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 mm. and the public would go. Mm-mm. And they would be naturally drawn towards the darker, mm. the more flawed characters. Yes. But I think we, the people, we, we'd prefer our characters with a bit of yeah. grit in there, don't we? I think so. And I think it's because we're all, um, deep down, we all know that none of us know what we're doing. Like, and we're all, yeah. we're all massive. And that's, I think that's the thing about getting older is that I've realised that everyone's faking. Like, everyone's faking... And that's the thing that is quite unsettling is that when you're a kid, you think your parents are in charge and then – and you think the government is in charge or you think uh, the prime minister is in – like whatever. And then you get older and you realise actually my parents are really flawed and they didn't know what they were doing. And then I look at the government and I go, I'm the same age as most of those people and I actually would I, – I don't trust their judgement any more than I trust my judgement. And you realise that no one's driving the bus. It's a terrifying feeling. But liberating, I think, as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Nobody is in charge. We are just, um, you know, we are that, that, that what is it, the, the, um, the, the, the uh, I'm trying to think of the Carl Sagan quote. <laughs> can't think of it. No, I, I, I do know the one you mean, but also pale I can't think dot. of it. Sure. Yeah. We're just the pale blue Let's dot. go with that. Just spinning somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In the, yeah. And it is uh, the height of arrogance and and hubris to think that you are in charge of shit. It's really fun watching Donald Trump unwinding publicly. Like, he is just in meltdown because he genuinely has been protected from how out of control he is. And now he's in charge and he is so out of control. And I I watched him at a press conference this morning and it was, wow. Car crash. Beyond car crash. It was just, he is... um, is this to do with the impeachment? Yeah, it's ask ask him a question. Stop asking me questions. I don't, I don't want to talk to you. Yeah, it's it's amazing watching this happen to the most powerful human in the world. Where do you think this will end? Will it end with? Do you think I don't go know. down it? I no, don't, I don't know. I don't either. know. He, I, you know, if you said to me he's going to win the next election in a landslide, I'd go, yeah, okay, anything can happen. You know what? I yeah. could not agree more. If yeah, you said yeah, that, yeah. I'd go, yeah, I believe you. Yeah, but, sure, that's a, but, conceivable, totally conceivable. But if you also said he will, he won't be president within a month, I'd yeah. go, I, yeah, I believe that just as much. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they and are both equally likely. Yeah, which is this yeah. insane moment in history when even the most informed, knowledgeable people on Brexit or, you know, they're just going, I cannot tell you. I literally I don't know. I do not know. And that's that's really interesting. Like we, I don't think you would have that kind of discussion 30 years ago. I think people would have some kind of confidence. 
So is that, is that almost a, is that almost a good thing for for Freyd in that uh, you are a la- because in this age of the the uber villain almost mm. it, it gives you more free reign with it with with your main character. Yeah, I think. Um... I mean, I think of Succession as well. Every character in it. Succession. Every character is. I recommend it. Mm. It's the second best show on television right now. Hey, Chernobyl being. <laughs> no, <stop. laughs> um, but every character is a shit. Yeah, great. but yet you, yeah. you know. Yeah, I like. Um, you want like, you're, you're rooting for all of them. But I also think with all my favourite comedies, both film and television, I love Desperados. That's like my favourite yeah. comedy. Who, who are your favourites then? Well, I mean, Tootsie is my favourite film of all time, and it is the, it is the, it is the. I've I've done the Rule of Three podcast talking. I can talk about that film forever. It is just gazing into this perfect diamond. because it's a person winging it, and they've got it over their yes, head. Yes, and every thing that they do and every step that they take um, is an act of desperation to make their life better, and it just gets increasingly worse. And then the finale is just stunning. You know? It's yeah. just stunning. But yeah. for me. Uh, Whenever, like, I, I was in a, um, a a script meeting the other day talking about somebody else's project, and we were we were trying to figure out how to how to do something. And once again, like I've done this throughout my entire career, I'll go, well, hang on. I mean, how did they do it in Tootsie? Just let me think for a moment. Sure. And you go back and you go, that just is this for me personally, because what I in in writing, what you want is uh, your character to leap off the page in every scene. You know, whenever your scene is dying when you're writing it, it's because they have no intention. It's because they've wandered into a scene, and if you don't know what their intention is, the scene's going to go nowhere. So if your character is a desperado, and you can say in one sentence, what does this person want? And they will step over their own... I was going to say mother. They'd step over... They, they'd slit your throat to get it. Sure. Then then you go, I know exactly what they're going to do. They can drive the... the, the you know, they can really drive this show. So... You know, The Office. I love The Office. David Brent is a desperado. Yeah. And even the earliest, earliest, you know, I, I Love Lucy. I Love Lucy is is about a trapped woman desperately trying to get, just shrug off the shackles of yeah. domesticity and get into show business. Sure. You know, any opportunity she had. I mean, Bilko, uh, you know, yeah. like one of the greatest comedy yeah. performances ever. Yeah. It's just a man who's yeah. always trying to yeah. wing it to win, isn't he? You know? Yeah. Um, all my, all my favorite kind of, you know, the stuff that I always kind of return to when I think about, certainly in the writing, when I'm, when I'm writing it, why is this scene dying? Why is this scene boring? Why is this not working? And the answer always comes back to, well, the person who's driving it isn't desperate enough. What do they want when they walk into this room? When this scene starts, what do they want out of it? What's, what's the end point of this scene? I read Stuart Lee's book. Oh, yeah, right. And the the line that he was writing Jerry Spring of the Opera, mm. and there was a guy work, working on the show who kept saying, where's the jeopardy, where's the jeopardy? Yeah, yeah. And then I think in the book, they sort of laugh behind this guy's back, and I think to the extent where they were doing the catchphrase, where's the jeopardy? Where? But then in the book, Stuart Lee writes, he was absolutely correct. Yeah. And without jeopardy, right. the, yeah. there is nothing, is there? Yeah, if my character doesn't get this, what will that mean? So not sure. only do they have to know what they want, but if they don't get it, what are, what's going to be the consequences? What is that going to mean for their life? So I wanted this character who was so intent on being high status and presenting well and being 
powerful and wealthy and I've got beautiful cars and beautiful. I don't give a fuck how I got it. I don't care. I don't care, but I've got it. And then once she has it taken away from her for the rest of that series, what do I have to do to get it back? How do I get it back? So it kind of it made it an easier it made it an easier writing task for me to know exactly in one sentence what does she want? That's so good. That's so so patronising. You've articulated that so well. No, but that that explains why when the episode ends, you want to watch the next. I hope so. Episode. I hope so because I, I mean I've certainly had this experience where I'll watch a comedy show. And I won't name because some of them are really, really popular. But I'll watch one episode, I'll laugh and go, "Yeah, that was really funny." But I don't watch it again. Don't care for what happens in any other episode. Hundred percent. And then there are others. I mean, that's so true. Yeah. With with, my wife and I, with a with a box set, it's not that we've said we're not watching that anymore. Yeah. You just don't return to it exactly, and it doesn't even occur to you. Yeah. And it's the sort of stuff that we've not watched for three months. Again, I'm not going to say it, but but it's true, isn't it? And the difference between that and something like. Barry, mm. like I saw the first episode, I was on a, I was on a flight and um, I'd read the description of Barry and I thought I don't like the sound of an improv class and a because on paper it sounds wacky, doesn't it? it? Sounds really bad. Yeah, and I didn't like the description. I thought, well, good luck, fellas. Sure. And I was just, I just did, I did all episodes and and I didn't even. It didn't even occur to me to not look at the next episode. I just racked them up. Could not get enough. I think season two is even better than season one. Of course it is. I felt season two yeah. was... was f- season one was obviously beautiful, yeah. but season two had a lot more ha-ha-has in it. Season one just... Uh, and it did that thing where... And it's, again, all my favourite, favourite comedies are where... Um, oh, wow, they just killed that guy. Oh wow, he just did that. Sure. So I'm living yeah. in a very unsafe space here. People can die. That's right. And that's you know, with with Freud, we start on a death. Yeah. And it starts in and, a morgue. and what a death. And what a death. <laughs> um, uh, God, Rufus was good in that. He was making me laugh so much. You know, it's, and that's the really great. God, thing. he's really good, isn't he? Shit, he's good. I went I'm, to go see the Laurel and Hardy film, and he uh, yeah, he's amazing. He sort of steals the scenes that he's in, doesn't he? He does. He does. And then the big finale in Hull. He was that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's. I mean, I, I was so fortunate that. Um, and I love this about working with um, comics is that um, comics just know where the joke is. You can hand them, you can email them a script and they'll turn up and it might be a day of filming or three days of filming or they whatever. They picked the word to emphasise for I the... I know. They've, yeah. made the, they've, they've chosen how they're going to do it. And it's so nice when you go, you know, you just do whatever you're going to do in this scene because it's great. You just It's just that lovely thing where... Comics are such whores for the laugh. We, sure. We just, we sniff it out and we'll find it. And all of the people that, that we cast in those kind of, it just, um, it just feels like a bunch of free kicks. You know, I'm getting laughs here. Yeah. They've elevated what's already there. Like they've made it better than what it was on the page. But we're just getting a bunch of laughs that simply weren't there in the, in the writing. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. Oh, totally. You know, it, it, it just gives it that energy and, propels it through the next scene. Not all your scenes are going to be killers. You know, like when you do the assemblies and you're watching it in the edit, you're like, oh, this next scene's a bit flabby. But if you kind of go, yeah, but I've got that, got that lovely scene. Got that in my top before. pocket coming up. Yeah, it's like sure. stand-up where you go. They've not gone for this bit about 
but sea lines, but, yeah, I, but <laughs> they are going to love I know. my elevator stuff. <laughs> but the elevator stuff that's coming up next. Oh yes, they're going to fucking. Lose I can their I shit. can drop my shoulders because <laughs> yeah. elevator's going to take the roof off. All right, all right. Um, now this this is this is the uh, the the therapy question. Mm. But how how wonderfully gratifying is it to be in this position right now where you're clearly super? You know when you're so tired, you've got a uh, yeah, yeah. Twitch. Yes, yeah, you know, you know Herbert Lom in the Pink Panther films. That's my. Fa- that is one of my favourite scenes. With oh the my archery God. at the beginning. Sure. And and then it goes straight onto his <laughs> forehead. <laughs> they, those because those movies do. All right, I, yeah. I'm not saying they're perfect works of art. Oh, don't you dare! That but, for me. But the but the the bits that are funny are. I mean, Herbert Lom in those movies is he kills me when when Clouseau takes the wrong two when he extracts the wrong. Two. <laughs> And he starts twitching. Only one man. As soon as you say that, enough. I can see it in my mind's eye as he sit, you know, he sits up and that face. But it's also with the laughing gas. So they're on the laughing gas, and he's just pulling out any tooth. <laughs> and then the twitch starts to go. Mm, only one man would be stupid only enough. One man. So good. <laughs> have you seen the outtakes of that? Yes. Oh my god. Have you, have you heard? So the the story goes is that sellers. I don't know how true these stories are. It's like the Marisa Tomai yeah, story. I don't know how true these yeah, yeah. stories But it, it is alleged that Sellers would have won the Oscar for being there had they not ended on outtakes. The outtake? No. Why? Because Sellers didn't want to end on the outtakes. He oh. wanted this to be his Oscar calling card. Oh. And it is alleged that the studio wanted some of that sweet, sweet outtake yeah. action that the Pink Panther films had had. Yeah. And so, so I won't spoil the ending, but it's a really beautiful film. He said... Now, you honky. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, the, and, so, and then the, but the end on the, the wacky outtakes. Yeah. And it, it is felt that. And then Hoffman wins the Oscar for Creme versus Kramer. He did. And in his speech. 1977. And in his speech, he says, his opening line, I think, is, I can't believe I beat Peter Sellers. Oh, I and mean, then Peter Sellers died, right? Yeah. It was his last, his last film? Or was there one more Pink Panther movie? I'm not sure. Maybe it was his last movie. Yeah, right. Maybe it was. But imagine yeah. Sellers sitting there. Great, cheers. Oh, can I, wow. Can I rub my nose in it anymore? That is brutal. Well, at least Hoffman lost for Tootsie, if that's any consolation to Peter Sellers, that another yeah, one sure. of the greatest comedic performances so, got uh, ignored. Who, who won instead of... Gandhi. Ben Kingsley. I mean, he's pretty good in... Look, they're both. I mean, to even compare them is it's a insanity. joke, isn't it? It's it is insane. insanity. When I was a kid, I cared about... This is embarrassing to admit this. Yeah. I cared about the Oscars so much... So did I. ...that yeah. I would stay up through the night. Me too. So at sc- I'd be knackered all week at yeah, school. yeah. My wife thinks it's a matter of, maybe I have to take this out, but she means it with love. Mm. It's not a question of if I come out as a gay man. It's just, <laughs> it's just, it's just when. I don't think Oscar's love is enough to, to, to pin your sexuality on that one. I mean, you've no idea how much I did love the Oscars. So though. did I. And I have, um, like, I can remember, because it was before, I can remember the pre-internet days where you couldn't catch up and just watch the opening right. monologue. No. It just had to happen then and there. You just totally. had to watch it. And memorise it as best as you could or yeah. record it and, you know, for safekeeping. And then you'd have to, have to find a VHS well. that was four hours long. Like, because sure. it was so goddamn long. I've done that, but you tape it and then because it was a three hour, you've missed yeah. the last yeah, hour. Because yeah. it always, always overruns, you know. That's right. I'd always watch the opening monologue a lot. Totally. Yeah, that was always my Like, genuinely of... passionate about yeah. the opening monologue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I, I used to think that Billy Crystal was great. And yeah. then 
I, I, for me, I mean, I know Steve Martin. Steve, no matter who gets the gig, they Steve get a lot Martin, of Steve Martin, when he hosted it on his own, yeah. was terrific. I thought he was so funny. He, many, he had yeah. a pop at Russell Crowe, and Crowe looked at him as if to say... He was going to smack his head in. Watch yes. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I took, remember that. One of his gags was something like, um, I took a... I took a young boy to go see the film Gladiator. Mm. He cl- he cried all the way through, mm. and then the punchline is something like, "It's not my dad. It's You're not, not my dad." Or something. yeah, something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th- I don't know if that was the gag, but there was yeah. a gag where he it's a, he looks at Crow and Crow looks at him as if to, and then yeah. he cracks a gag at Tom Hanks' expense, mm. and Tom Hanks plays along. Yes, and the crowd clap a little too hard, which I took to mean that's what you should have done, Russell. <gasps> Yes. I mean, that's the... But then I never know if people are playing along in character. Like, if he goes, you're a thug, and then Russell Crowe sits there and pulls a thug face, and the people go, ooh, Russell's upset. Or is he deadpanning? Sure. Is he playing along with, yeah, I'm a thug, that's right. There was a fantastic yeah. deadpan uh, with the Golden Globes where Tina Fey and Amy Poehler made the joke that... Um, Steve Carell uh, has been nominated. Uh, it was for Foxcatcher. Yes. And they said, uh, for his amazing performance as a psychotic, murderous billionaire, whereas in reality, Steve Carell is a psychotic, murderous millionaire. <laughs> and then they cut to Steve Carell and he totally deadpanned. Sure. Nailed it. Yeah. So you're kind of like, well, was Russell Crowe playing along going, yeah, yeah, I'm a thug? Like, I just never know. I never know. Sometimes. Yeah, I don't know. But then you know. it was around the time that he was bashing people in the head with it was, telephones. It was around that time. So he might have just uh, been a dick. And it was the time where he read a poem in his BAFTA acceptance speech and it, I think it was cut. And then they cut it, it short cut and time, he went mental. And he allegedly <laughs> pinned the guy up against the, the wall. That's the kind of success I want. I think we all dream of that success. That's the kind of success. Where you've just l- totally left planet Earth. I'm going to read a poem now. And yeah. if you cut me short, I'll I will you break your fucking nose. Yeah. I'm, I, we I can am, but dream, Sarah. We can but dream. It was it Nora Ephron who said um, something like she wants the kind, you know, when people talk about the kind of money that ruins you. That's the kind of money I want. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I want the kind of wealth that ruins me. Oh, God, I heard a story. Uh, I can't say. I'll tell you who the person is, is off air. No. In fact, no. I bet you know what. I better not. It'll be too obvious. Yeah, it will. It will. It's a. It's about to, the the best monologue I think I've ever seen was the Independent Spirit Awards. Mm. Nick Kroll mm. and John Mulaney. Oh yeah, John Maloney. Yeah. Um, and it's the first time they host it. Yeah. And they absolutely smashed it. Oh my god. Yeah. Right. Like perfect. God, I love a good hosting. Just zing, zing, zing. Yeah. Interplay, interplay, zing, zing, zing. Right. It's yeah. It's it's astonishingly I good. Think, I think I watched. Uh, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler, they're three Golden Globes gigs. I mean, they're wonderful, aren't I've they? I've seen those mono- opening monologues so many times. God, I think you and I have very similar lives. Yeah. I <laughs> La- mean, if last you thing at, at night, your... watch your, my search history on YouTube is stuff like that. Yeah, mine's also SNL. Just yeah, absolutely. random SNL stuff. Yeah, what are your favourite SNL sketches? I, oh, Kristen Wiig doing Liza Minnelli turning off a lamp. Never I seen it. I'll write that down. I have seen that so many times. And then I'll forget about it for a couple of months, and then I'll and come then back, back to, to it. it. Yeah, and then the the sisters from the the the, the Kristen we also does the from the the Five Finger Lakes or something, and <laughs> I can't describe it. She's basically it's they're like I can't describe it. Sure, but it's the 1950s. It's sort of like a Walter Cronkite musical yeah. hour. And um, Walter Cronkite, is that right? Yes, it is, I think. Yes. So there's a band leader going, and now we've got from the Five Finger Lakes or whatever it's called, uh, and it's these sisters who do a singing <laughs> act, and all the sisters are really pretty and they've got bows in their hair. Sure. And then the camera gets to the last one, which is Kristen Wiig, and she's balding and she's got porcelain hands and snaggle teeth. <laughs> 
<laughs> she tries to eat the bubbles. And when she starts singing, she starts talking about eating roadkill. And her sisters try to get the camera off her. It's just, it's really, it's, the thing I love about SNL is it's nuts. Like, it's and also, really. I, yeah. I, I love the show so much. I've, you know, I've read books about it, I've read the mm. oral history book about it. Yeah. And so I say this as a fan. Mm. Part of, the, part of the reason why we love it, I guess, is there's so many misses in there as well. Absolutely. And the, the, what Lorne Michaels said is, you know, we we go, what time does it go on? Is it 11? Yeah, I think so. We don't go on because we're ready. We go on because it's 11 o'clock. Sure. That has been my, ever since I had kids and kept working, Yeah. that has been my MO as a working parent. I don't go on stage because I'm ready. I go on stage because it's 8.30 or a, a, the MC has just said my name. Ewan's cracked a gag on stage. Um, it's one of the great – this is one of the greatest – I mean, I've seen a lot of comedy. Mm. One of the best shows I've ever seen was the – it's the Ugly Duckling and you do the bit about – I think oh, you, yeah, right, you go right. for an advert and yeah. you and it's you, sa- you said that you, you were going to sound like a, a, a woman in a, a Tennessee Williams play and you'd say to your kids, was it something like – I've done some terrible things for money. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah, when I was auditioning for an IKEA ad. <laughs> that's right. After, uh, yeah, yeah. God, fuck. Jeez, I've got some good stand-up. Mate. You're my archivist. Uh, no, I don't. I am, you know what? I, pro- yeah. I probably am your archivist. That's great. It's good to remind me, though, because you, you get on that, that treadmill of, you've got to produce a new hour, got to produce a new hour, and you never sort of stop and go, I've actually got like six hours of work behind me now. I could probably revisit some of that i mean i've told this to your face before you are and i can look you yes, dead in the eyes you are. you're one of the best best i've ever seen in my oh, life mate thank you that's uh that's really thank you i mean that's an awesome thing to say i really uh that, that Not bless you. to me thank you um so what the, the, so the question i didn't ask mm. because i started twitching mm. are you able now sarah kendall you've you've like you say been over here 20 years you're one of the you're one of the best who's ever hold, held a microphone You've got this show on Sky. I know it's in Australia as well. Mm. It's come out a treat. Not only is it incredibly funny, the supporting cast, I'm going to get onto them in a bit. It's it's shot so beautifully. It's yeah. like, you know, David yeah. Fincher could have directed it's this. You know, beautiful, it's beautiful, yeah. You know, everything. Yeah. Are you able now, are you, are you able to finally smell the roses? No, I'm. I mean, I'm nervous because I don't know if we'll get a second series. You know, like this is the waiting game where they sort of look at the ratings and see. You know, it hasn't gone to to air in Australia yet, so we'll have to see how it goes in Australia. Um, it might be a one season wonder. You know, I don't know. It might. It might have all come to an end already. Uh, we might get a second series, which would be great. Uh, I'd like to do a second series. Um, uh, I. I don't. I don't know. I feel like I'm in a really good position at the moment um, uh, where I feel like all my capabilities have come together. Like even if we... Yeah, yeah. that's such a beautiful feeling, isn't it? It's a nice feeling. Where you think, oh, I didn't piss away that thing, you know. Everything that I've done over the 20 years that I've been in stand-up, it's all come together in some way. So for a while, I just was jokes. So I became a, 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 a competent, a competent joke writer. And then I started reading about scripts and started, you know, like everybody else, read Robert McKee and did a couple of fucking <laughs> so true. did a couple of fucking courses. And then I started doing shows that were just stories instead of stand up. That's right. And then I kind of brought it all together with a TV show where I'm like, all right, now let's. Let's bring all these skills together. And also bring some life experience. I couldn't have written Frayed when I was 30. I had to be 40. I had to be, uh, I had to have um, 
had some bruises on me to write that. I couldn't have written that in my 30s. I I had to have some life experience. And I feel some, that way. Maybe it's because yeah. I'm in my 40s, but I feel that way. Yeah, you do. You start to go, actually, I've got some genuine scuff marks on me now. Thank God this is happening now. Yeah. Right. Because I got into comedy quite late. I was in my early 30s. Right. And I, but also uh, overshare, I was a binge drinker in my 20s. Okay. So right. I always think yeah. that had I got into stand-up while I was hammering the booze, yeah. I think that would have been a bad mix. Whereas it might, it, or it might have made you go, I don't feel like drinking. I don't know. It might have. Well, but but I, I think stand-up stopped me drinking. That's what I think. Because yeah, I, I reckon. Uh, so what, what happened was, I think I've ever, it's not that interesting, but Ian, so Ian Morris is a comedy producer, comedy writer, co-created the In-Betweeners. Right. So we've known each other since my early to mid-twenties, just through a mutual friend. And then it's so why I was hammering the booze. And then I got into stand-up in my early 30s, went out with him January the 11th, 2011. Mm. The reason why I know it was this date. Because it's 11111. It's the last day I ever touched alcohol. January 11th. That is 11111. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, maybe January the 10th. Anyway. (laughs) No, no, no. Stick with 11. It's better. (laughs) Yeah, let's go with the 11. Anyway, um, he said to me, how many gigs a week are you doing? Mm. And I said, two or three and I was expecting we're in a bar I was expecting him to go oh my god everyone James is doing two or three gigs a week yeah. and he just pointed upwards and went because when you're starting out I mean mm. maybe now you can, you can do two or three but when you're open mic mm. he felt you need to be doing a lot more than that yeah you got to be well and, yeah, and the, yeah, the, yeah so we were out with a mate of mine and then on the way back to the tube station my friend said the only way you could do more than two or three is if you're not booze on the head yeah. and I know, and that was it and yeah. so comedy then became that's the, great you know another addiction Absolutely, you shifted addictions, which is fine. But that was a, that feels yeah, like a healthier. Yeah, yeah. I, I I really agree that um, certainly when you first st- and when I say first start out, I mean your first decade. Like I totally. consider I consider starting out as a ten year apprenticeship. But I could not agree more. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I reckon um, the real what you're really and some people and I hate them. I hate them so much because I'm so jealous. Some people get on stage. And they're already at year seven. For sure. whatever reason, they, they're just touched. I'd uh, say Romesh. Romesh. I saw Romesh. Yeah. He'd been going a few months. Yeah, yeah. He, he absolutely. Uh, and we've been friends ever since. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I remember seeing him. It was downstairs at the King's Head. And it was it, it was there. It was fully formed. He had yeah. the character. Yeah. It was yeah. the, the persona, I should say. Yeah. And the comfort levels. Oh, my Those God. Those comfort his, levels. His confidence was... Ju- I mean, I've, t- I've, I've told him this. I've told this to his face. Jason Manford was there. Mm. And so it was all new acts. The Manford had popped down to try yeah, some new material, yeah. and I remember telling myself, "If this goes really well, mm. this is the pressure race to put myself under." Oh, great! Yeah, if this yeah, goes yeah, really well. This. Jason Manford will spot me, and he will recommend me <laughs> to his agents. Right? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. so I, you get down, then I'm told you're on in the second half, and I know that it won't happen because Manford is going on first. Yeah, right. So yeah. Manford goes on first, and he's obviously Jason Manford, and he's brilliant. And then Romesh, I think, was on third or fourth. Mm like smashes it like you won't believe mm. and Manford recommended Romesh to his agent yeah, right. and that you know that proved a yeah. you know real stepping stone but i reckon um the reason why when you first start that you've got to be doing it four or five nights a week yeah is because what you're um what you're working towards is being as comfortable on stage as you are off stage the stage has to feel like a natural extension of where you belong See, I'd say, I've heard Norm MacDonald say this, and this isn't healthy, mm. but there are times where I'm I'm more comfortable 
on stage. That's where that's how most comedians feel. Yeah, I think that is. So I don't, I don't, and I don't mean yeah, to sound yeah, like yeah, yeah. oh my god. I'm oh no no a, no no. A, but that's but why it, but we are that, who we are. It is absolutely true, and though. that's why we are um, all. I've said this many times that I am only at my most comfortable with other comedians. That it's <laughs> yeah. the only people I really really get and feel gotten by because. I think it was Seinfeld who said we're like the same breed of dog and when we see each other in the street, you know, our, our, our tails wag. Yeah. But um, that that feeling of um, you you feel like you're in full flight and you go, this is, oh, this is, now all my dials are set at exactly the right levels and I'm on stage and I'm in the flow of it and then you go, this is this is me comfortable. Everything else it feels twitchy or uncomfortable sure. or I need a drink to knock the, the uh, knock the edge off it or That's right. And I've never, ever had a drink before going on stage. No. Never. Have it you, would I would never it wouldn't even cross my mind. Have you had Bourne standing up? No. Got, have no, you not? No. Oh you'll 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 read that in one sitting. I have. Steve Martin's book, Bourne yeah. Do the audio book though. Okay. Why? Def, uh Terry Alderton has mm. he um So I've read the book and then I heard him in an interview say he listens to the audiobook and he says there are three golden tenets of comedy in this book. Right. But you only get it from reading the audiobook. So I bumped into him in Edinburgh mm. and I said, Oh, I've read the book. And he went, No, 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 you've got to listen to it right. and you pick up what these three tenets are. Wow. I think I even said, What are they? And he was like, No, 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 you've got to. And on the way home from Edinburgh, I listened to the audiobook. Yeah. I definitely remember getting two. I can't remember what the third one is. Wow, I love um, this. This I wanna, is like a I want to go, go back. I want to go back and revisit it. But in the book, he said that he, I think on one occasion, had a drink before a gig. Yeah. I think he used to tape tape his gigs back in the 70s. Right. Listened back to it, heard himself slur a solitary word. Yeah. Never drank again before. Yeah. On stage. I also think it's our job. Part of, like, it's okay for them to drink. It's their night out. Sure. But we um, have to be three or four steps ahead of them because we're producing the entertainment. Yeah. And if you have a drink, you have set your gears yeah. at the same speed as theirs. They're not paying you. No. It's not your fucking night They're out. They're not paying you to be their mate. Right. <laughs> yeah. This is not your night out. You've you're at be, work. You've got to be at least a yard ahead of the game, haven't you? Exactly. Sure. If I'm sick, I don't want my doctor to also have the same sickness as <laughs> me. Like, yeah. it's just insane. To me, it is nuts that you would have a drink before going and do yeah. anything to slow yourself down. And I say that as somebody who, you know, and I, I mean, I was never an alcoholic, but I certainly drank too much in my 20s. And even when I was doing stand-up in my 20s, I never would ta- have a drink before going on stage. I also, and this is the downside of starting stand-up early, is that I didn't really have anything to say for myself. Like the problem starting stand-up early is that you become a good joke writer, but what you've do you got, stand for? Yeah, you've got nothing yeah. of any interest to say to a room full of people in their 30s or 40s. When I see a young stand-up in their 20s, it's like, uh, oh, that's cute. Like, yeah, But sure. there's nothing you can say to me that is remotely interesting because you've, you've got no scuff marks. You have no scuff marks. You've got no skin in the game. You've got time on your side. There's no jeopardy. What's the jeopardy? What's the jeopardy? What are you what what are you bringing to this? You know, and that was my problem and I knew it. I knew when I was in my 20s that all I could do was write about other stuff that I had seen. I would I would do jokes about movies and imagine if and imagine if and oh imagine because I, I I didn't I hadn't done anything. Yeah. I'd gone from school to university to stand up. Never no job in between. My jobs were bar work. 
uh, cafe work. How old were you when you started stand-up then? I was 20. I, t- I did my first gig at – oh, hang on. No, no, no. Uh, 1990 uh, – yeah, 20. Am I right? Did you – because I remember seeing you on telly as a mm. comedy fan. Yeah. Had you had a, did you have early breakout success? No, I had just random things that went nowhere. So I, I did uh, like – I did a stand-up competition and part of being in the finals was that it was on television at like midnight on a Saturday night on the ABC. But it it did get televised. Mm -hmm. But it was also pre-internet, so it just came and went and disappeared. Um, But I also wasn't very good. Like it it looks like you're about to cry then, (laughs) like you're about to burst into tears. I wasn't good and I knew I wasn't good. I knew that it was going to take me time. I just wasn't um, comfortable. I was um, incredibly anxious. Uh, I felt sick before every gig. I really struggled with the anxiety side of it. But I really wanted to do it. I wanted to be comfortable. I I, I loved stand-up so much and I was such a stand-up fan. Yeah, sure. That it was like an act of will. It's like I am going to get over my, I am going to get good at this. I just, it was a force of will. I just decided. I don't know about you, but the one thing I would want to pass on to my kids is mm. this this idea of pursuing a, a passion, pursuing yeah. a thing that you actually care about. Mm. Do, you re- do you relate to that at all? Because yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm quite yeah. an old-fashioned family and they were more about you get a steady job. Oh, absolutely. You know? Whereas I wouldn't, pa- yeah. I, I, I would not pass that on now. I would say... You want to you want to follow a thing that doesn't matter if, if you want to be a, a a baker or an actor or a yeah. writer, you know whatever it might be. Yeah, I want you to feel that you've got some sort of fire in your belly for whatever that might be. Yeah, and if you're going to do it, do it properly. There's no problem with doing it. What is a problem is if you do it and then phone it in. So if you want to be a painter or a sculptor or whatever, <sighs> then so, you do so your true. ten thousand hours. Sure. And just doing the 10,000 hours, other stuff will come your way, even if it's not the painting or the sculpting or the whatever the hell it is that you want to do. But um, uh, Absolutely. But on, on the other hand, when I look back, that's this is the thing that <laughs> you also don't want to be Rupert Pumpkin. You don't want to be dreadful and go, no, 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 I'm just going to really, really work at this. And that was always my fear is that I thought, I'm not a natural at this. Like I, I was not. You're joking. No, I was not a natural performer. I had good joke writing skills, and I knew I had good joke writing skills, but I was not (coughs) a natural on stage, and I would get thrown by uh, any – anything that I wasn't expecting would throw me so badly, and I would sweat and go purple in the face, and my mouth would go dry, and so I kind of had this thing where I – I'd sort of look at the material I was doing. And you also know just by the friends you make on the circuit, you know if you belong. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know when when you're going to gigs and, you know, like if a more senior performer would come over and go, I really like that bit that you did about blah, blah, blah. Elevators. I love your elevator <laughs> bit. I love your bit about how small the drink drinks are in the the – the mini bar. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's really groundbreaking. Yeah. So groundbreaking. No, but you know what I mean? Like when you get those little nods of approval that mean the world to you when you first start, you know, when somebody higher up on, on, on the, the food chain kind of comes over and goes, that's really, I like that. That's really funny. I mean, that can change it. That can change your life. That, that's, that's kind of why that was the only thing that I held on to where I thought, okay, I don't think I'm completely delusional. I think I have anxiety problems and I think... 
What was the moment when you realised, all right, there might be something in this? As in... Comedy. Um, what for me was that I, I just kept on meeting people that felt like me. That, that that were just my kind of people. When I first met all the stand-up nights that I'd go to and all the friends I made at uni and the way I kind of kept getting launched into these little worlds of, of yeah. stand-up and, and, and comedy in general, it was inhabited by other people who watched the opening monologue a thousand times. <laughs> it was inhabited by other people who spoke TV comedy as a second language. Sure. You could mention... Um, any any comedy reference point and the person that you were talking to would go, oh, yeah, I love that. And then they'd tell you a great story about it. And that was – it wasn't so much that I was on stage going, yeah, I'm really good at this. I kind of thought I found my tribe. Yeah. I've actually found my people. And people who say and do really funny shit and are just a joy to be – I remember <laughs> – this to me is a <laughs> this is why I love comedians. I was talking to this – um. I won't say who it was, but I was talking to this comedian and I'd had a really bad thing happen and I was a bit tearful and this comic said to me, are you okay? And I said, no, I'm not. And I told them this really sad thing that had happened and it was devastating. And he looked me in the eye and he went, suck shit. And he went, I'm kidding. I'm really sorry about this. And I laughed so hard. You needed it. I laughed so hard. Sure. That this really sad thing had happened, and as a joke, he looked me in the eye and went, suck shit. shit. And we just laughed, and I thought, that's... You pr- and you're closer for it, I imagine, as well. Those are the kind of people I need around me. Yeah, sure. And knowing people like that is the greatest joy of my life. The people who I get to work with, and then through working with them, get to call my friends. Sure. That's kind of, for me, what I, made me know that I was in the right place. The, the reason why I, why I went, when I went, you're joking when you said you weren't a natural, weren't a natural performer. If you were to wake me up in the middle of the night and say, mm-hmm. who's the most natural performer you've ever seen? Yeah. You'd be one of the first names out of my mouth. Wow. So have you, have you had to work at that? I, it's taken me 20 years. I mean, and I would say that I only reached that comfort level after 10 years. That's why when I see these people who just pick up a microphone sure. and you go, oh my God, you are the fully formed comic already you've started fully formed it does my nut in i mean i'm I'm happy for them well done yeah look i saw philly philly wang wang and his show was just fantastic i loved it and i had a drink with him afterwards and i I said to him i say this with love but fuck you yeah fuck you for getting that good that fast he's he's really good he's really and a lovely boy as well isn't he no he's a cunt sure i mean yeah he uh, he he absolutely is. Um, may, now, may I ask about the the, the casting fraid because that's yes. a hell of a supporting. So yeah. there's a there's a scene in episode two, and again, I, I won't spoil it. But the scene at the there's a scene at the scene at the communal shower. <laughs> but that broke my. It reminded me of it, the, the level of acting and the interplay between the two reminded me of the scene in Mulholland Drive where Naomi Watts goes for the audition. She auditions with the older guy. Yeah. Do you remember that? It, yeah. It's that's, it, it's it's jaw-droppingly good that scene and the scene with the mother and the the good-looking guy yeah i think i even had to pause it because it was like so the the cast is it's incredible isn't it yeah i mean that was um that was amazing uh for for me to to write this thing and 
with each step in, in in the writing process, I thought, well, that'll be it. This isn't going to go any further. So you write the, you write a pitch, and then someone goes, well, we'll write an episode, and then you write an episode, and then that goes to broadcasters, and then six months later, they'll either say no, nah, or they'll go, yeah, well, write another episode. So you go, oh, okay, we'll write another episode. We weren't greenlit until after episode four. I had written what eight, four episodes going. We still haven't. We're still not official. Like, so we had episodes one and two in the bag, and then we were commissioned for episodes three and four. So I'm still writing, going, this is never going to get made. So hang on a minute. So you've written, you've you've written, but not yet shot one and two. Still not greenlit. Nothing had been. No, it was still in development. So we got to episode four, and then they suddenly and went, you still not shot anything. No. And then they suddenly went, okay, we want five and six and we're filming in August. Like, no, no, September. So we, I, I suddenly was like... September of last year? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We started, we were in pre-production September and I think we started filming end of September. Yeah. So a year ago. Hang on, what is it now? It's October. Yeah, a year ago. Oh my gosh. So, um, so to, to, to write and write and write... And you know, basically, be writing for two years when you when you when you add it all up because there are so many breaks when you're waiting for feedback. Of course, and for people yeah, to yeah. And then suddenly we're in production, and it's like this is going to happen. And I was, I just, I still couldn't quite believe it, and I've never done this before, so it really was everything was new to me. And um, then we get sent through um, the audition tapes for all these parts that I'd written, and I'm seeing people in a room with a white backdrop acting out the lines that I'd written at my laptop in a cafe in South London. And you're talking about Carrie Armstrong. Sure. Right, who yep. plays my mum. And, uh, of course, I knew her from well, Lantana. I remembered her most from Lantana's fantastic Oh, my movie. God, of course. Yeah, that that's was, a movie, isn't it? That's a movie. That swept the board at the Aussie. Yeah, yeah, yeah she was amazing. And uh, so I open up my laptop and I get, you know, the casting director has, has emailed me something like 14 audition clips for the part of my mum and the first one was Carrie and I, and I watched Carrie and I uh, I just started crying I, I because it had never happened to me I had never written words and then seen a professional actor audition and bring them to life I didn't that was a whole new experience for me and I can only I only liken it to um being a composer and then handing it over to the greatest violinist <laughs> yeah. who then plays it. And it's only been in your head and then you hear it externally by a master craftsman, craftswoman. And um, I, ju- I just started crying. I just couldn't believe yeah, it was happening. Surprised. And, and, you know, and then I watched all the other auditions. But, you know, I, she really – she just brought um, a strength and vulnerability at the same time, which is a really tough gig. To be both, she, yeah, absolutely right, yeah. Yeah, to be really steely and really strong, but but yet can break your heart. Wearing wearing her bruises on the outside, you know, really. And she described it. We we sort of had these lengthy chats when we were filming, and she described Jean, and I. It reminded me of Throw Mama from the Train. You remember how the whole time he's going, the night was, oh, what's the phrase? The night was, and then eventually, the night was, uh, what did she describe it as? Uh, she she described, not humid, she, the night was sultry. Like, and he just goes, I'm going to kill the bitch. 
because she just brings it. She just brings the perfect phrasing. And sure. he, this writer has spent the entire <laughs> the entire movie going, the night was, because he's on this writing course, um, the night was sultry. Um, I, think she, I think sultry was the word. Is that the word? I've not seen it for years, but I think you're pretty right. Yeah. But uh, Carrie said, uh, the way she described Jean, she said, um, Jean's peddling with no chain. Wowee. And I was like, oh, fuck you. What a turn of phrase that is. That's the, that's yeah. the way I could never. I would describe Jean. I go, Jean does everything she can to avoid pain. Jean does. Jean is always, she's very, she's always on the go. And then, and then she said, Jean's peddling with no with chain. with no chain. Like, fuck. Yes. And then I think. That's what I meant. And then we put it in the script. Uh, you know, we put that in in episode six. She says to Peter, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back to pedaling with no chain." And I was like, "That is, that's full props to her. That was, that was her." That's amazing. Yeah, I know. I mean that that that, and what a beautiful description. Yeah. Is there a so is there a return to? Will you will you be doing a a fresh hour show next year? Well, I just did a fresh hour show in Edinburgh this year. And- Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I think I'm now at the stage of my career where I'll comfortably do Edinburgh every second year. I don't feel that frenetic, got to churn out a new hour every year. And that's good for your health as well, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and also, why? What I mean, if I'm not a touring comedian, what, what exactly am I doing it for? Um, you know, for me, it's about keeping the radio show and the live stuff happening in tandem. That's my... That's, my trade, my trade. I mean, Rich Hall um, very wisely told me about fifteen years ago. Please, I I need wisdom all the time. Yeah, no, I, he's love, great. I love these. Yeah, he said, never let your stand up go. Stand up is your trade. TV shows are going to come and go, and even if your TV show goes well, it'll eventually get cancelled. Stand up is your trade. Never ever let it slip. I heard a story again. I'll tell you off air. Uh, Veteran comedian mm. must have been going for twenty, maybe thirty years. Yeah, yeah, probably thirty, maybe even longer than that. Had a real purple patch with television, mm. multiple shows on multiple channels at the same time. I would say it was a household name for a while. Agent took him for a drink. Oh, another project in the offing, no doubt. Yeah. Sat down for the drink, and the agent went, "They're not renewing 
this show. And he yeah. went, oh, it's all right, because we've still got... And the agent went, no, mate, sorry, you, you, you don't understand. And what, it, what he meant was, it's all over, mate. Yeah. All the... Ch- you know, that, 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 it was the end of the road yeah. for the TV. And yeah. he said he, he there was a nanosecond of, what do I do? And then he went, oh, I'm a stand-up. Yeah. So the comedy was the... Yeah. That was the... Uh, the word I'm after the, the the base the foundation the beachhead yes that, that, and he, and, he, and he, yes. he stuck with it ever since and know. it's where we cut our teeth it's where we learn it's where we learn how to be uh, of all the strings to our bow that's where that's where you start and you can get a, you can make a good income out of it um, and I never want to let the stand up slip for that reason because I can go into any meeting and if the person says thanks but no thanks I can go okay. I'm not going to sit there and go. I'll do any. Oh my god! Just, just, yeah. ma- I will do this at any level for you to make this work. I can actually go. That's okay. I've got my own shit happening. And that's I, a healthy, that's a healthy way to be, isn't it? I think so. Rather than I need this. Yeah. You no. Know. And and you know that need and that desperation. I heard it, Bill Murray once say that on Letterman. He was promoting Rushmore. Right. So going back a while. Yeah. And he said, "I never want to be the guy that's." I need this. No, and, and as soon as you need that, people can smell it a mile off. I think being busy and having your own stuff happening is is the best way to be in this job. But I, I really, um, I, I think, um, just being knowing that no matter what, I can go back and do. You can put me on. There was an episode of um, ugh, Louis. Um, and it was a fantastic episode. You sure, know, I, I I struggle with how 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 much I like that show uh, in the wake of his behaviour. But he had this episode with Joan Rivers, and it's one of my favourite episodes of any TV show. Yeah, and it's um, Louis. Uh, he's got a gig at Las Vegas, and he's playing the smaller room. He's doing his. Louis New York kind of routine yeah. and they're not going for it. People are getting up, getting drinks. They're not listening. It's the kind of set that you know would die in a club room like that. Sure. We all know those yeah, sets yeah, yeah. where you go, yeah. yes, do that in a sort of fringe venue at 11 <laughs> o'clock at night and it'll go nuts. But not in Vegas. Don't do it in Vegas. Right. So he's dying and he's really depressed and he wants to pull the whole run and he goes into the main ballroom and Joan Rivers is on. And he stands at the back and he's watching Joan Rivers and he's, ha- he's laughing. He's really enjoying her set. And he rings his agent and he goes, I think his agent is like a 12-year-old kid. Well, it's really funny. His meetings with his agent, it is a child. Um, but he says, I can't do it. I'm, I'm, pulling, I'm pulling the gigs. They hate me. They're going to, they, the people are getting, I'm getting drinks. No one's listening. And he ends up having a drink with Joan Rivers. And um, she says... Do you know how many times I have been back in the small bar, back to the ballroom, back to the small bar, in the ballroom? She said, I'm in the ballroom now. I'll be back in the small room. I'll be back. I will just keep on. I have been to each of those rooms and performed throughout my entire career. She said, you might get to the ballroom and then you'll be back in the small bar. That's that's the layout of the land with our job. We've got to keep touring and we've got to keep working. And she said, don't pull your run. Do the run, see it through. This is your job, and it's it's such a, a beautiful episode that there is this this woman who's been doing. You know, she'd been stand up for fifty years, and in the fifty years, she had pinged between each of those rooms, thinking, sure. "Well, I'm in the ballroom. I've made it." And I'm back in the. Guess what? Yeah, you're back, just earning enough to get by. Oh, now you got a TV show. You're back in the ballroom. Ah, TV show's cancelled. Sure. You're back in the bar. And once you look at the scope of a career like that. Um, 
you can't be in the ballroom all the time. You can't be playing the main room all the time. It'd be nice if you are, but nothing lasts forever. It's such a great episode. It was such a, and a really it's good life advice, though, isn't it? I mean, yeah, if, you know, yeah. for, I mean, yeah. for you know, for that's not just for comedians. That's that's life advice. Period, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Keep going. Just keep going. You know, I, I I'm a real. Um, my dad uh, is a he's he's a real exercise guy, and I've sort of inherited that from him. And uh, every morning he puts on his trainers and he goes and he swims probably nine months of the year because he swims in the ocean. And he said, if I ever questioned whether or not I felt like going for a swim or if I felt like going for a run, I wouldn't do it. I put my trainers on and I go, you just keep going. You don't question it. So you just do it? Yeah, well, yeah that's not a debate. If I go, oh, it's a bit cold out there this morning, you then forget you know, it. I go. So what you do is go, no, no. I put on my trainers and I run and I do that and that is not a debating point because you can debate yourself out of it. Generally speaking, you can find a thousand reasons <sighs> to like not the, do it. That feels like the best Australian mindset, you know. Emotionally, it's not great because then emotionally you start going, just suck it up, mate, just suck up your pain. And then you end up <laughs> spending your entire income on therapy because you've learned to suck it up so well. But I do think um, – there is something to be said for that. Take the best of that. Yeah. There is definitely something yeah. in just there. Just keep there? going. And and you know, it's it's the same for when you have a really bad patch with your career. Just keep writing. Just keep writing. Keep getting on stage. Just even if you don't feel it, keep getting on stage. Keep talking. Something will happen. Get your way through it. Get get through it. Fucking find you gotta find a way through. Yeah. Are, you, are you an exercise person as well then? I have yeah, I am, yeah. And and that only really happened to me in the past ten years. I was always quite sort of yeah about that sort of thing. And then uh, I started to realise all, all of the benefits. You go, yeah, it is worth committing to and really getting into it. Just generally, even for your mental health. So I, I, I'm aware that we. Oh my god. Yeah. Okay. So I'm aware that we. That. <gasps> Shit. Have you got a meeting? Uh yeah. Oh right. Fuck. Oh right. Okay. Uh, Sarah what Kendall. An ending. <laughs> What a twist! Holy shit! I didn't. I've, I've. Do you know? I've got therapy in fifteen minutes. Where, where do you have to get to? Uh, just nearby. I'm very close by. It's all right. Right. It's in centre of town. It's fine. Can I ask you one more question? Yeah. Go. Huge advocate of therapy. Yes. Nearly twenty years. Yeah. Um. I don't go every. I used to go every week. Now yeah. I'm more like every now and then for an MOT. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Good. 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 Yeah. What 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 role has it played for you? Um. Stop and think. Just stop and think. You know, I, I think this is quite true of middle age, is that you spend the first 20 years of adulthood just uh, just keep going, just keep going, next thing, next thing, next thing, next thing. And then you reach a point where you have to do a stock take. And you have to go, stop. Just fucking stop. How do you stop? Um, uh, I don't know. I think I'm learning. I'm learning. But... Um, just looking at the things that I've never wanted to look at and, and never wanted to address. And then you go, all right, well, you can keep running from that and not feel great. Or look at it. Just look it right in the eye. And, you know, it's... Um, so the thing that's niggling away at your soul that you know you should address, yeah. you actually have to... Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true of hitting yeah. your 40s. You go, all right, I've hit the halfway point. If I'm lucky enough to get my, my three score and 10 and sure. then some... What am I doing right? What am I doing wrong? Because I've now got to decide what the next 40 years are going to look like. You know, so do it with intention. I've got to do the next 40 years with intention. Sure. 
Yeah. Yeah. You okay. pl- plant the seeds now and right. reap the benefits. Uh... Yeah. And the things that I'm not doing right, what are they? Because if I keep doing them, that's that's your lot, Charlie. That's it. This, You know, I know it's such a, a hack. This is not a dress rehearsal. You really get that sense of that in your 40s. This is it. This is my life. Sure. And if I'm not happy, I'm going to be dead sooner than I – like, I, I, this does not go on forever. I don't have eternity to figure this out. And these things don't magically no. cure themselves either. No, you've got to do the work. That's part of growing up. That is. You have to – yeah. and I say that from a personal yeah. point of view. You've yeah. got to – yeah. Deal with this, yeah. you know. I gotta go, Sarah. God bless you. Right, I'll, I'll, I'll walk thank out with you, you. So much. Thank you, mate. I really See, that was quite a nice twist, wasn't it? At the end there, very balanced twist as well. Therapist, very on brand for us. <laughs> uh, thank you as always for listening. Uh, oh, pre- if, if, if this is your first one, previous guests include Ricky Gervais, Regina King, Oscar winner, Patricia Arquette, Oscar winner, uh, Chris Akabusi, world champion athlete. Dane Jess Ennis, actual Dane, Olympic gold medalist. I, I, I'm not going to do this for all 50-odd uh, uh, guests. That would be painful for both of us. Uh, anyway, as always, if you've enjoyed it, please spread the word. Tell your friends. Please tweet. Oh, it helps like you won't believe. Five-star reviews, lovely write-ups. If you've if you not enjoyed it, just you know, keep it to yourself. You, you'd always have to share if you don't like it. Um, and thank you, as always. I'm very grateful. Uh, we are across the socials at Balance LDN. Our website is Balance media and i am on shameless plug at james gill comedy uh thank you as always we are back monday with the regular episode have a lovely weekend take care hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.